me? Excuse me, where's everybody going? To Gobbler's Knob. It's Groundhog Day. It's still just once a year, isn't it? It's 2023, but if you listen to some of the events around the annual Conservative Political Action Conference or a hearing at the Arizona legislature in recent days, it would feel like we're stuck in 2022 or even 2020. Arizona's lawmakers need to come to an agreement on an annual budget, and there is no shortage of issues to deal with in Washington, D.C. But in Arizona, prominent Republicans remain fixated on election denialism. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm Ron Hansen. I cover national politics for the Republic. And I'm Mary Jo Pitzel. I cover state government for the paper. Today, we're talking about how the Republican Party looks to move ahead with governing in Arizona and how it will talk to voters about the things that matter to them when they vote next in 2024. We'll hear from John Thomas, a California-based Republican strategist who is helping amplify the message of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is all but declared as a presidential candidate. After that, we'll talk to our own Ray Stern, who covers the Arizona legislature for the Republic. First up, we're joined by John Thomas. He's the founder and president of Thomas Partners Strategies, a full-service media, strategy, and crisis communications firm. He's consulted with dozens of federal races. John, welcome to The Gaggle. Great to be with you. So last week, Carrie Lake and Abe Hamaday appeared at CPAC. In Hamaday's case, they asked him about election administration matters, and he complained about the ballot counting problems that Maricopa County had on election day. Lake was more conspiratorial, vaguely alluding to Trump's 2020 loss and her own loss last year. She also talked about Hillary Clinton looking like billionaire George Soros and such. Both of these folks narrowly lost with Arizona voters last year. I guess the question is, for someone like you who's worked on a lot of Republican candidates and campaigns and such, as you're trying to figure out how to sell candidates moving forward, what is the message that people should be focusing on, especially at at this point in the cycle? It's a twofold question. On the one hand is, are we fighting a Republican primary for the nomination? And then, of course, are we looking, we always try to keep one eye towards the general election. Just looking at the upcoming primaries, it is undeniable that election integrity, election security is a top three issue for most Republican primary voters. So a good Republican candidate is going to need to speak to those concerns. Now, there are different ways to address those issues. There are more the looking in the rearview mirror, dwelling on the past. And there are then ways to address the concerns of voters of election integrity, making sure elections in the future are fair and honest and accountable. And also using the legal rules, depending on the state, ballot harvesting, early organization to ensure that we win and use tactics that, quite frankly, the other side's been using for years in places like California and others um, to win elections going forward. So it's it's a appropriate for candidates and necessary in a primary to speak to election integrity. But the way you speak about it is the tipping point. I think Carrie Lake gets it wrong. She's looking at it in and more of a grievance tour rather than saying, here are the lessons learned. Here's what we can do so that we win the next one. So to follow up on that, John, you seem to be suggesting that they should acknowledge that there are 
these complaints out there. How do you do that without giving legitimacy to them? Well, I, th- I think the answer is things like we need to focus on ways to verify the integrity of future elections, admitting that there are select instances, maybe not widespread, but select instances of voter integrity issues that have risen and do deserve merit. For instance, um, when you look at voter rolls in places uh, in certain states, that there are people that have died that are still on those voter rolls. We all acknowledge that that is true and they shouldn't be on the voter rolls. We need to clean up the voter rolls. Depending upon the state and again, depending upon the candidate, perhaps pushing for voter identification laws to ensure that we know exactly who's voting and there are ways to hold, put, instill even more trust in the system. So I think the answer, Mary Jo, is not to give credence to the argument of that a prior election was stolen, but to say, hey, look, given people's concerns and oftentimes voters' perceptions is the reality, we want to make sure that we build even deeper trust into the system by implementing these select reforms that we think will make the process even more secure. At the Arizona legislature, Republicans recently had a hearing that was notable for the conspiratorial tone and the accusations of fraud uh, that were hurled with some regularity there. A few Republicans in the legislature are even starting to push back on some of this rhetoric. And I guess we saw some of this at CPAC in this past weekend as well. I guess my question to you is, are we seeing this more broadly in a lot of states, especially those where we expect competitive Senate races or other competitive congressional races and such. Is this still where the center of gravity is for the Republican Party in 2023? Is this something that is going to hinder their efforts to try and work with voters moving forward? Uh, Let me get some clarity. Are you saying that election integrity is the seminal issue for Republicans in 2024? Or are you asking, is it an issue that is of top concern, one of the issues that's top concern. I just want to be clear. I understand what you're asserting. Yeah, I I guess what we saw at the legislature was something that was notable for how far it was still digging in and the depths of the accusations that were going out, implicating some Republicans in some cases. The question here is not whether election integrity matters to conservative voters or to voters more broadly. The question is, is conspiratorial-minded exploration still something that is useful for Republicans as they're trying to engage with voters moving forward into the 24 cycle? Is this something where you think that the center of gravity is at or will be when voters have to weigh in again on their choices? Uh, I understand it. That's a, that's a shifting uh, issue. And I think it's most uh, on display in the presidential contest is the easiest way to explain it. Republican voters across the country, while still having deep concerns and quite frankly, mixed opinions on whether or not prior elections were fair or even handed, there seems to be a growing consensus among the Republican electorate more broadly that while some may want to look in the rearview mirror, politics are about, and campaigns are about winning. And at the end of the day, we have to win the next election. And so I think we're going to see that debate, both kind of I'm calling like the rearview mirror grievance politics of election integrity 
and looking forward about winning and viability is going to be a most display in the presidential contest. Donald Trump can't seem to move past what happened in the last three cycles, particularly his own reelection effort. And there's a whole host of candidates, particularly like Governor DeSantis, that are focusing on we have to win the next election. That's all that matters. And so I think we're seeing, and I've seen in internal polling and in several races I'm, I'm working on, is the broad, yes, there are still some grievance folks stuck in the past, but broadly speaking, the desire to win the next upcoming election is what Republicans want their candidates to be focusing on. And I think that's the path forward, is obviously touch on election integrity and what you're going to do going forward, but focus more on how we are going to win. Because at the end of the day, this isn't a popularity contest. This isn't about rallies. It's about winning the election so that your candidate of choice can implement the policies that you think are going to make your state, your city, and your country a better place. Speaking of winning, in Arizona, we have dozens, again, of election-related bills that are moving through the legislature. Um, our legislature is dominated by Republicans, uh, although with a slim majority. These bills, if they pass, will go up to the Democratic governor, Katie Hobbs, where it's widely believed that many of them will be vetoed. So does that help or hurt Republicans that they are advancing legislation that might wind up in the trash heap? Yeah. <laughs> uh you know, it's interesting. The politics of self-interest is always a fascinating one. Uh, while these certain elected officials are looking to score some points, perhaps uh, more motivated by small dollar email fundraising than actual electoral politics. I don't think it's productive for the electorate, particularly when you look beyond a primary, Mary Jo, and you look in toward a general election. Election integrity isn't something that everyday Americans or folks from Arizona think about when they're at the dinner table. They think about what are the policies that affect their job, their public safety, their kids' education. So while I think some of that becomes noise, particularly if it gets vetoed, I think the disappointing thing is that Republican elected officials are squandering their time in office to actually move the agenda forward on issues that general election voters actually care about. And that's really, there's only so much bandwidth and space that a voter, a general election voter has to think about their politicians and their legislature. And so you need to use your share of voice wisely. And I think so focusing on things in the past uh, is squandering an opportunity to be able to move the ball forward on an agenda that actually matters to general election voters. John, I have heard you say a couple different times about winning messages. So why don't you spell that out for us at the moment? What does a winning message begin to sound and look like for Republicans in 2024 as we sit here relatively early in 2023? Are you speaking toward the, the federal level or? Yeah, let's start there. Okay, because the answer is it depends. Yet more broadly speaking, economics is a winning message for Republicans to focus on actually something that President Trump, uh, former President Trump, was given a lot of credit for was a booming economy when inflation was lower, when gas prices were lower. So that speaking to the economy and also speaking, not overcomplicating it with economic lingo, but really just focusing Americans perspective on everyday items like gas, the price of eggs, you know, th this this inflation beast that's consuming them. So focusing on that, also focusing on public safety. That was an effective wedge 
for many Republican candidates in 2022, but focusing on the idea of uh, standing behind law enforcement, ensuring that they're adequately funded. And then, of course, the border. Immigration is a massive issue, both in Republican primary politics, but also general elections. And so that is a challenge of how to frame that issue properly. There's wrong ways and right ways, but certainly speaking to that issue of immigration. And then lastly, education. Right now, particularly coming out of COVID, so many parents were disgruntled, perplexed, unhappy, I I suppose is the simplest way to do it, about the state of education, how we handled it during COVID. And so harnessing that frustration kind of going forward, I think, is, is an important thing, especially it's an easier contrast because so many Republicans were for kids going back to school in person when so many Democrats were against that. So it's an easy contrast and wedge to make. I had one other question that sort of loops back a bit on what we've already discussed. But in 2022, Democrats won in part because they pushed back against these election fraud allegations. Can Republicans then take a page from that playbook? Will that work for them if they're using a line that was used successfully by Democrats? I think your assertion is a little, uh, there are several elements to it. On the one hand, Democrats did have some success uh, pushing back on kind of election fraud conspiracies. On the other hand, I don't know so much that everyday Americans cared that deeply about that, but more it, it allowed the Democrats to position the Republican nominees as fringy, out of touch, and certainly that the Republicans were not speaking to issues and solving issues that everyday Americans care about. So I would more step back and even say that one of the biggest problems about trying to relitigate the past on concerns of election integrity is you're not talking about issues that voters really care about. And that is the the core problem. So yes, Republicans would be very well served to, they have to address it in a primary, but quickly pivot and move, especially as you go into a general election, to talk about voter issues that voted, that some of the issues we just talked about, that voters actually care about. That's how you win elections, is talking about issues that voters think affect them on a daily day, day-to-day basis, not looking in the past about who won which election and why that's the case. Most voters just don't give a rip about that. John, you are the lonely Republican in California. You certainly have seen your share of frustration, I'm sure, politically, as that state has really doubled down on Democratic politics. What's your advice to Republicans in Arizona as they are contemplating their next round of choices for the way forward? If you want to avoid what Republicans have seen in California, what do you do to make sure that you don't let your state slip away? Yeah. So that's a great question. I think immigration policies matter um, a great deal. Uh, I also think you can look toward California, uh, although uh, at my consulting firm, we do you know races all over the country, but we do a lot of California stuff still. And I, I think the lesson in California can be in part can be learned about where not so much we've been losing, but where we've had success. And that really, if you turn to places like Orange County, California, We've done remarkably well in places that are more purple, even blue in some instances. We've won a good chunk of the congressional races or taken them back. And the way we've done it, getting back to what Mary Jo and I were talking about, is number one, we speak to the issues that voters truly care about. 
we don't really go on such a grievance tour. That's not usually our candidates are more happy warriors rather than angry, uh, disgruntled candidates generally. And the other is that we nominate through our process candidates that look and feel like the community and share their values. Um, I think part of the reason there's been a shellacking with Republican nominees across the country, particularly in the midterm cycle, is so many of the candidates we nominated were more on the extreme side that really didn't look and feel like a general election voter. So, of course, they're not going to be as marketable and are going to be more easily pinned to the extreme and out of touch by a, a smart Democrat opponent. So I think the answer is look more toward our candidates out of Orange County, California, that win and continue to hold these seats. They look and feel like their community. And I can tell you, we're not, although we do, all of my candidates uh, in that those areas do speak to election integrity kind of coming back full circle in their primaries. We quickly move past that issue as we move to a general election and talk about concerns of everyday voters. As you look at Arizona from your perch, are you optimistic about Republicans reasserting themselves uh, with voters or are you concerned? Is the is the engine light blinking Oh, there's a blanket. There's there's multiple <laughs> hazard signs. Um, you know, it's early to say at this point which direction we're going to go. But I think the president, particularly the debate we're going to have at the presidential contest level in the primary is going to be very healthy for states like Arizona because the media landscape, I think, is going to be dominated in the coming weeks, particularly uh, if and when Governor DeSantis gets in, which is what kind of candidate is best suited to winning in November? I think we're going to have that discussion. And I think that's going to trickle down all the way down to states, counties, and cities about if our priority is winning in November of 2024. What kind of candidates and what messaging do we need to win and what tactics do we need to deploy? That is going to be on full focus at the presidential level. And I'm optimistic that that will mold the kind of candidates that are nominated in states like Arizona. Very good. John, thank you so much for taking time to go through this with us. If people want to follow your work on social media or elsewhere, where can they find you? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me, Ron and Mary Jo. I really appreciate the time and being with you. The easiest two ways is probably our website, first and foremost. That's tpstrat.com, or you can follow me directly on Twitter at the Thomas Guide. That's probably the easiest way. If, uh, if somebody wants to send me a message, uh, message me there is a great way to do it as well. Joining us now is Ray Stern, who covers the Arizona legislature for the Arizona Republic. Ray, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be here. There's a new governor and some new faces at the legislature, but there's still this creeping sense of deja vu around the Capitol. Election denialism remains an area of intense interest for many Republicans. Tell us a bit about how that has played out. It is a, like deja vu to some extent. Last year, the Republicans put out over 100 election-related bills, and there was a thought that maybe this year with a Democratic governor and very little chance of actually having any of these types of bills signed, that there would be a lot less. But there aren't. There's about 70 or 80 of them that were released this year, and the elections bills are probably what they've spent the most time on this year so far. They've had four sessions. They've been hours long, some five hours, some seven hours, so... It's an amazing amount of time they're spending on that, especially when Hobbs isn't likely to approve these bills. 
Some of them contain very draconian positions like banning mail voting and early voting. Those have not really advanced, though. So some of the most maybe you could say inconvenient ways of uh, voting have not really advanced, but there's still quite a few of these bills that have gone past committees and they've been approved by either the full house or the Senate. And they're now on their way to the next chamber where we'll see if they get approved and, and they'll get sent up to Hobbs for a probable veto. Mary Jo, we had a memorable hearing at the legislature dealing with election denialism, uh, something that was sort of notable even by Arizona's standards of late. Tell us about that particular matter and how that has been received. It was a seven-hour hearing that was attended only by Republican lawmakers. The Democrats boycotted it because they said it's going to be, it's just going to be a show promoting things that aren't going to go anywhere because they're false ideas. And it devolved really quickly at the end when the committee chairs allowed a woman to come and speak, providing her alleged testimony with no proof of state officials, the governor, the secretary of state, the The entire LDS church. Yeah, and the entire LDS church, all taking drug money from the Sinaloa cartel. I think what was not said, but the implication was that they were being bought off by the cartels to fix the elections in Arizona. Ray, you had the pleasure of sitting through much of that. Um, So fill us in a little more on some of the firsthand detail. Well, uh, there's just no question that the cray-cray really came out with that last speaker. Up till then, these election presentations had included a sort of a parade of election deniers and conspiracy theorists who give these presentations about all the things that they say that the elections department did wrong or, or didn't quite check up on. And none of it really amounted to any proof of any actual wrongdoing. And the county debunked a lot of it. But then this last speaker was just off the rails. Basically, she not only accused like half the elected officials in the state of taking bribes from the Sinaloa cartel, but as it was quickly found out, what she was doing was presenting the allegations that had already already been previously made by this local lawyer, John Thaler, that he had made against his wife and mother-in-law in court. So this was really all about a divorce and child custody case that had been sort of overpresented massively by this lawyer. He'd been rebuked by two judges who called his filings fantastical. And these are basically the same allegations that were allowed to be presented in the state Senate. So there's been a lot of uproar about it, but what's been the fallout? Fallout so far has been kind of minimal. I think people are wondering what's going to happen next. Um, It's been about a week and a half since it happened. And the freshman lawmaker who brought in this speaker, Representative Liz Harris, who's one of the sort of more prolific election conspiracy theorists in the state, has now been put up for a ethics investigation. And uh, Republicans actually basically denied a censure vote for Liz Harris and recessed. And then the person that introduced the censure vote, Representative Stahl Hamilton, then filed a, an official three-page complaint with the Ethics Committee. The Ethics Committee, though, is run by, um, uh, in the House, Representative Joseph Chaplick, who's considered pretty far right. So people are wondering where this is going to go next. I've asked uh, uh, Representative Chaplick for some news on that, and he hasn't responded to me yet. So this is happening as committees continue to meet, looking at still this plethora of election-related bills. Very few of them died in their first run through the committees. I think many of Liz Harris's bills did not advance, but she got her hearing, which was the big show, I guess, that she was hoping for. Can you talk about some of the bills that are alive? From what I've been seeing, they're passing, but pretty much on party-line votes. 
And are there any where you're getting some kind of bipartisan agreement? Well, I haven't seen anything that is sort of significant with bipartisan agreement. The one that people thought would be would have some bipartisan agreement is this uh, idea that you would make the cast vote record a public record. And that way people would out- actually be able to pull up in their homes, on their computers, the actual ballot that has uh, been submitted by voters. None of the information about the voter would be there supposedly, but the ballot would be there. And Adrian Fontes and some Democrats have expressed support for this before, but it did not pass the Senate with any Democratic support. And meanwhile, other bills have passed uh, the entire Senate. Uh, One of them is a bill that would basically ban drop boxes unless they are very heavily monitored, like a human being has to be there and watch them 24-7. Yeah, I've I found at least one where there's, you know, some Democrats on board. Even the Secretary of State, Fontes, got on board with it, and it would um, provide for voting in the prisons. Prisoners are, if people are held before they've been convicted, they still have their voting rights. And this um, is a bill that addresses some ways to do that and protect privacy. Oh, I forgot about that one. Democrats like that one because it's criminal justice helps prisoners. Let's move past the spectacle of the election denialism efforts that are being once again indulged by Republicans at the legislature. There is a budget they need to come to terms with. There is other matters of state that they need to take up. They're dealing with a new governor and Governor Katie Hobbs, a Democrat. Do you get the sense that they are getting serious about trying to, you know, sort of bring this in for something that feels like a finished, realistic product? Is it still months off? And how does all of this conversation and spectacle help get us to a point where they can come to terms? I'm not seeing much evidence of anybody trying to come together yet. I mean, it's only March. (laughs) The budget's due June 30th. Probably the best evidence of the division that is really rankling the whole legislature is what the House did last week, where they said any Democratic bill that needs to come up for a vote must have the signatures of at least a majority of the Republicans. Democrats have protested. They said this wasn't the rule last year. Republicans say, well, this is our rule for controversial bills. We do it to our own. We're going to do it to the Democrats. So here we are, and we shall see later this week, they put up a bunch of Democratic bills, I think in a way to test the Democrats to see if they will vote against their own bills. Because in protest, the Democrats have consistently voted no on every bill since last Wednesday. Yeah, it definitely does not seem like we're that close yet. Although I think, I just get the feeling that there is going to be something coming together because there's an interest in not having the government shut down. There are some mutual interests, but there's just no visible sign of it yet. There almost have been after the governor put out this uh, this message that she was going to spend $500,000 to make sure that Republicans don't get elected in 2024, Republicans were naturally ticked off about that. But then the uh, House and Senate leaders, Warren Peterson and Ben Toma, sent a almost, call it an olive branch, but it was kind of critical at the same time. But it basically offered a chance for a meeting with her to sit down. That hasn't happened yet, though. Well, in fairness, I think that was a response to a letter the governor had sent them the week before saying, you know, Let's get together and start talking about the budget. I suspect, but have not been able to confirm, that there are moves happening way behind the scenes. You know, getting a state budget out is is the legislature's only duty. And although I see an appetite among many Republicans to have the government shut down, I don't think anybody really wants that to happen. It doesn't play well with the public. 
right? The, one other problem that they've got too that I mentioned in a story about this Liz Harris thing is that if they censure Liz Harris or do something against her, they've only got a one vote majority. I guess I just wonder if that will kind of defeat Republicans' plans to um, move forward if they lose Liz Harris. What do you think? No, it'll just push them to reach out to Democrats. I mean, if you want to get if you want to get something done, so you don't shut down government. Republicans and Democrats are going to have to work together because of the very slim majority that Republicans have in the legislature. We saw that last year. It didn't happen until, you know, late in the ninth inning, but it happened. And uh, we'll see how determined Republicans are to not work with the governor this year round. Well, Ray, thanks so much for coming on The Gaggle. Nice to have you back. If people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? Just go to at Ray Stern. That's it for this week, Gaggle listeners. For more information on the legislature, you can read Ray's work on azcentral.com. Do you have questions you want us to answer or topics you'd like the Gaggle to cover? Reach out to us at thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and share it with a friend. You can follow me on Twitter at Mary J. Pitzel, that's P-I-T-Z-L. And you can follow me on Twitter at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. The editor and producer of today's episode is Kaylee Monahan, with help from Amanda Liberto. You can follow The Gaggle and all AZ Central podcasts across social media at AZC Podcasts. Thanks for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.